This is the Woodland Hills Family Church Podcast. Our desire is to inspire you and your family to become fully devoted followers of Christ. Thank you for listening, and we hope that you enjoy today's message. I had a great week this week, um, and I think you'll join me in this as we kick off maybe how my week was great, but join me with this, but one, two, three, how about those Wow. Man, did that, was that not a fun game? I mean, I say this, that even if we lost, I'd still say it was a fun game. It was a great game, but it made it all that more sweeter that we won that game. Uh, That made it a really fun game. My wife was all over the house pacing, her stomach was in knots, and I kept looking at her going, we have Patrick Mahomes. We win this game. It's okay. Calm down. What a fun, fun game. But also this week, Valentine's Day um, was upon us this week. And uh, hope you guys had a good Valentine's Day. Uh, we, uh, we love celebrating these kinds of things. My wife is a big celebrator, big birthdays and holidays and things like that. And Valentine's Day is no different. Uh, we have several traditions. And one of those funny traditions for us is me and my wife always buy for each other these chocolate-covered fortune cookies. Um, I don't know where it started, but we've been buying those for each other for 12 years. Uh, We love those little things, and it's fun to know that that um, is a little tradition of ours. But another tradition in the McIlvain house um, is something called the Parade of Boxes. Uh, This is an event that happens at the school I work at in the K-5. through This is uh, an event where all students in K-5 through Go home and make their own Valentine's Day boxes. And then they come in, set them on the desk. We scrub the desks of any names or identifiers to whose box it is. We put a sticky note with a number on it. And then all the kids rotate all the classrooms and vote for their favorite box in each class. Admittedly, I will tell you this, and maybe you already know this, but the McIlvain family is a very competitive group. And I think the irony that I experience every Valentine's Day is one that you'll also have some association with. The first box that came out on this day, I'm down at drop-off or pick-up area laying down there, and a student comes out, very intricate, detailed box, falls. It, she breaks it, walking in the door, tears, devastation, it all just comes pouring out. I'd like to tell you that that was an isolated incident on that day. For what I've come to realize is that Valentine's Day during the parade of boxes is anything but loving. (laughs) It's cutthroat out there, okay? They're taking shots at other boxes. Look at the painting on that, right? The detail on this, right? The funny thing about it, Right, And this is just kind of the irony that I want to highlight here for us this morning. Is that on Valentine's Day, there is frustration, there is disappointment, there is jealousy, there are meltdowns. My boys displayed this similar set of emotions when they got in the car and asked, how did today go? Well, I didn't win. (laughs) Well, did you like love on anybody today, you know? Well, no, Dad. I mean, other people brought live animals for their boxes, and I just, 
You know, it's like, oh, sorry. So to give you a little picture of that, I wanted to show you some of those boxes. We had a Isaiah Pacheco one I thought was pretty good. Another one that I thought was interesting came from a main man, Ethan Bliss, who took a picture off of online and put it on a box and just had it as his Valentine's Day box. I want to be very clear with you, that is not what my hair looked like before I went bald, okay? That's a wig, so that's, those weren't the locks, okay? Hudson, my oldest, had uh, Kirby. Um, G, my mom, helped him build this. And Boone had a bus from a video game that I don't know much about, but spent a lot of time on these things. And I mean to really tell you this, that there was a lot of jealousy, a lot of frustration. They didn't follow the rules, Dad. They, they didn't stay within the lines, Dad. And, and we had to work through the, some of those things. I think one of the great things about kids are is that they display so easily that we as adults often have learned to hide. They are just fully out there with their emotions, their frustrations, their anger. We as adults just learn to put on better masks. The, the feelings still reside in our hearts, don't they? It just outpours in more conniving or scheduled or um, like we, we think through it a little bit more. But I think that they highlight something for us that we all understand that loving others is difficult. It is hard to love others. Uh, we look out in a culture that can't agree on really anything, Right? I mean, whether you think in this way or this way, there are few things at which there's an agreement upon, but we do know this, that everybody agrees that love is a good thing. Uh, love, I want more love. I love receiving love. I think giving love is a good concept. Love. But it begs the question that you and I must at some point ask ourselves. If we all agree on love, then why is this so hard? Why is it so hard for me to love those around me, my neighbor, my enemies, my family? Why is it hard for me then to walk in that? Well, today I would like to be the Vanna White for us today to uncover the scriptures. As we look to God's word, we see problems and as believers in Christ, we go to God's love letter to us, the scriptures. And so today, if you have your Bibles, please open to 1 John 4. We've been going through this series. Uh, if you don't have your Bibles, no worries. I have the scriptures to follow along with me on screen. But I'm excited to jump in and begin to answer that question. Why is this love thing so hard? We pick up in verse 7, which reads this, Beloved, let us love one another. John, a disciple of Jesus, is writing to fellow disciples. Those who are in Christ know Jesus, are following him, and his admonition to them this morning is let us love one another. We will return to this, but this is the framework at which we are going to lay my remarks on top of. The goal here is for us to increase and, and love others more. But before we do that, I, I want to slow us way down. I want to tell you that at the school I work out, we have schooly things, like little quips, right? Little things that we often say from faculty to staff sometimes and even communicate to our students. And one of those schooly sentences is this, words mean things. Yeah, sure, Scott, I get that. 
But I do think it elicits a little bit more time for us to think what that really means. You see, words, and I think of sometimes are like jars, right? We put in definitions. We put in emotions and experiences to words that we pick up along the way. I'll never forget the first time I uttered my first curse word. My parents overheard this word. I didn't know what it meant. I had heard it from somebody else in the context that they use it and decided to use it in the same manner. They were horrified. Scott, where did you hear that word? Now, I, I'd like to think that I was a true comedian at like the age nine, but what came out of my mouth was, Mom, Dad, I heard that from James Dobson. For those of you that don't know who Dr. James Dobson is, very connected with Focus on the Family, I got my mom and dad to laugh so hard that I didn't get in trouble. It was great. But I learned that words mean things. And it's my job to understand those words in the right way. We, as believers, as Christians, should be very particular about this concept. We, who have been given God's word, should be students of what it says. And when we do that, we must understand and uncover and dig to better understand and grasp what the Lord is trying to communicate to us. Our culture is in no doubt in a war about this. If we take two seconds to think, thinking about how we define words has brought about a lot of vitriol in our culture today. Take the word marriage, for example. There is a group trying to define it one way and another group trying to define it one way. How about the definition of what it means to be a boy or a girl? I heard it one time said this, is that he who controls the dictionary controls the culture. If you can now recreate the definition of a word, you have power. We could think about that for far much longer than we will here this morning, but it is worth noting that these things, words mean things. Now, we have a word in our language that we use far and wide. It is a mystical word. It is some word that means a lot of different things in a lot of different contexts. That word is love. How can it be that in one sentence I can say, I love my children? And with the same language in the same sentence structure, turn and say, I love s'mores Pop-Tarts. That doesn't make sense, does it? The same word in the same structure, but we have a total understanding that that means two different things. Well, when we go to the original language that in the New Testament Greek, we see that these writers had different words to denote different types of love. And I want to go over that really quickly for us this morning as I think it will help unpack and uncover truly what John is trying to say in this passage. The first one that we see as a different type of uh, Greek word for love is eros. This is a sensual love, a love of desire um, that we get the word erotic from. The second one is philio, which is um, a regard for affection, a, a friendship. We know this word in our language um, because we get the word Philadelphia, right? Which is translated to, yeah, let me check this 
Just another city that Patrick Mahomes has devastated in the Super Bowl. No, that's not it. <laughs> right? It is the city of brotherly love. Now, this love is a natural love, one at which all of humanity has the ability to work out. The ability to love one another with affection and, um, and, and in this way. But there's a third one at which the New Testament writers use that is really interesting that we should pay attention to. And that is agape. St. Thomas Aquinas defined agape um, as to will the good of another. This is a transcendent love, a supernatural love. Um, this, as you can tell in its definition, has far less to do with a feeling Less of an emotion, I am falling in love. That is not agape. It is a decision, a choice, a commitment to the goodwill of another. So when we look back at 1 John 4, 7, we will see that when John is saying this, he's using this Greek word agape. Beloved, let us agape one another. You see, words mean things. And when we uncover that, we have a better understanding of what's going on here, what he's calling us to. If we continue to uncover that just uh, verse, oh, I forgot this point. What the whole point of what we're trying to get and what he's trying to get across to us is that. The goal here today is for us to love one another, to increase in that, that we may agape others. We would do that. And so when we get to that, let's continue to unwind this and unpack this. In uh, verse 7, he continues, Beloved, let us love agape one another, for love, agape, is from God. John tells us, hey, do this, and this is where that comes from. What he tells us is that God is the source. He is the source of this agape. Ted crushed this last week with a great um, slide that I want to recall back here for us today. And that is, he said this, if you can't find in your heart to love someone, you have a source problem, not a people problem. You see, I often chalk whenever I'm tasked, am I loving right now? Hey, am I loving on people? I, I often think of it's a them problem. You've not been nice to me. You've not been kind to me. That is a conditional love. You do for me, I do for you. You give me nice Valentine's gifts, I give you nice Valentine's gifts. You acts of service, I'll give acts of service. That is not what is being described here. That is not what the target is. We have a source problem. Uh, I work at a school, as I've already mentioned, and uh, me, along with another guy, Charlie Warfield, are the resident millennials at this school, which means we understand technology. I, I don't know how that's worked, but that's how it works at SFO. We use very little tech. We don't have phones in the classrooms, laptops. Uh, we don't have any projectors in our lower school. We use very limited technology. But in the cases that there is a technology need, there's only one guy these teachers call, and that's me. And I always chalk it up, oh, yeah, let me see if I can work on this, right? You can't get the DVD to play on the TV? Yep, let me come in there. Give me about an hour, and I'll get back with you, right? And what do I do? 
I walk in there and the first thing I'm going to check is the power. Is the power on? Is the power cord plugged in? Does it have the right source to work? After I recognize it's on, the power cord is plugged in, then I move to the next part. Is this DVD player connected to the TV? You all have seen this screen on your TV from time to time. More often than not, it's an input problem. The teacher has just forgotten to change from a different port. And I come in there and I press import, input and I change to a different input. And voila, the problem has been fixed. I report back to the teacher after many, many hours, teacher, I fixed your problem. <laughs> Had to call IT, get a new couple of cords, okay, use some AI, but we figured it out. The reality is it's a source problem. The teacher is often looking in the wrong place to get what they're needing. We are not that much different. We often believe that our spouses will be the source we will look to them. They will fill our love bucket. We will overflow with agape. We may look to our accomplishments, our jobs to fill that. These were never intended to be that. God did not create them to be that source for us. And yet often we look to the wrong import. God has the corner. He has the market on agape cornered. He is the only source of agape. It's not, hey, he's one of these options. He is it. He is the source of it. And we go to him, that which he is. We must be plugged into him, the correct source to answer the question, why is it that I am not loving? And the answer resides in him. As we move on into verse 7 here, Beloved, let us love one another for agape, right? Here we go again. For agape is from God. And whoever agapes has been born of God and knows God. And anyone who does not agape love does not know God because God is love. When I read this part, I see John pulling to us identifiers. We get identifiers, right? It may be a work uniform. It may be a jersey that one, one wears as an identifier. I'll tell you this funny story because it's probably relevant for here, us at this church. There's an individual who looks exactly like me. He's 6'5". He's bald with a short beard. He's an assistant principal. We both played ball at College of the Ozarks together. Jared Howerton, a good friend of mine. I'll tell you this funny story because when we used to play together, same build, I mean, a lot of people still confuse us to this day. We were out on the court one time and these two defenders were like having this hilarious discussion. Hey, I got 22. No, I got 22, right? No, you get 44. He's the one who can't shoot. And I was like, no, 22 is the one that can't shoot. And they're having this discussion and me and Jared are looking at each other just laughing. The reality is Jared, he's got a great shot. Mine is horrible. But the identifier for them was, who's the one that shoots the ball all the time? These things help differentiate individuals. And what John is doing here is helping us differentiate. Those who know God and were born of him, love. They agape. 
Those who don't know God don't love. This is John's identifier. This is how he differentiates those who which have love and those that don't. In this, we have this beautiful picture unraveling for us of the Trinity. God, God who is love, gives agape, gives love. It is from him. Those who have placed faith in Jesus come to know God. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one goes to the Father except through me. Right? We have this picture that we are reborn when we accept the free gift of salvation. Jesus has paid our debts that we could not pay, and now we are in relationship with God. As we continue with that, we look and jump ahead a couple of verses in which the Spirit comes. John 4, 13, by this we know, talking of assurance of salvation, this is a great thing for us to camp on for a second. By this, we know that we abide in him and he in us. There is relationship because he has given us his spirit. God gives agape. Jesus is given to us, dies on a cross, pays our debts, and the spirit indwells within us abides within us. Galatians 5.22. But the fruit, right? The fruit of the Spirit is love. It is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, goodness, faithfulness, among many other things. But it is love. The Spirit abides in us. The fruit of that is love. Moving on here, we have... John 13, 35, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples. Identifier. Identifier right here. They will know you follow me. They will know that you are my disciple. How? If you have agape for one another. If you have this love for one another. This is challenging for us. As we continue to think in John 4, we jump down to the bottom here because there's a huge statement that is brought that John brings to us. God is love. God is love. And this is often um, something that is tricky for us. We wrestle with this concept, love and loving all and, and all these things. But here I want to say a couple of things. God defines love. It does not define him. All, we do not say that all affection, all love is divine. He is in his essence, agape. He is that. That is who his character is. You see, this morning we're actually thinking and talking more about who God is than honestly thinking about us. We're looking to who the character and nature of God is to inform how then we live. He is the essence of love. Not only that, but he is a hundred percent love. Uh, there was this kind of trend that went around several years ago. Uh, maybe you've seen it on social media. Uh, but uh, love basketball, basketball guy. And I saw these guys making these kind of funky videos where they would say, uh, the title was, When God Created, and they would fill in different athletes. 
when God created Patrick Mahomes or when God created LeBron James. And they would have this bowl, right? And they would take these different cups filled with different parts of water and they would say, God created LeBron James. And they'd pick up this cup and it's like 25% supreme athlete. And then they'd take another cup and 10% Einstein IQ and 30% ability to jump out the gym as if building these individuals was like these percentage-based concepts. God is not that way. We do not parse his character. We do not separate these things. He is love. So how do we justify, how do we understand that at the same time God is just and love, I want to reframe the way we describe that. God is lovingly just. God is lovingly holy. We do not separate these concepts. It is who he is. It is his essence that he is love. Which moves us, then how does he display this love? How is that on display for you and I to see that? Well, wouldn't you know? We turn back to the scripture. Verses 9 and 10. In this the agape of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this love, agape, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. God shows and demonstrates his love for us by sending his son Jesus to pay that debt that we couldn't repay, our sin nature. Putting it another way, he is our example. He is our source of love, he is the essence of love, and he is the example that we are to follow. We imitate him. I love this quote from C.S. Lewis, which reads this. It is easy to acknowledge, but almost impossible to realize for long, that we are mirrors whose brightness, if we are bright, is wholly derived from the sun that shines upon us. Our love is a reflection of imitating him. He is love. He is the source of it. He is the essence of it. And he is the example that we look to in terms of how we love others. For the goodwill of others. Again, our goal this morning is to contemplate how do we increase our love for one another. And so far, all we've done is look to God. Who he is. How he loves us. John 4, 11, 1 John 4, 11 says it like this. Beloved, if God so loved us, agape us, we also ought to agape one another. We love because he first loved us. We focus, we study, we pursue, we plug into him to have that kind of love for others. I want to close this out this morning with a, a passage that has really gripped me this week in my preparation. R.C. Sproul talks about this, and it is this interchange between Jesus and Simon Peter. It's found in, in John 21, in which Jesus has risen from the grave and is speaking with disciples at this moment in time. 
Jesus comes to Simon Peter and our word study, quick word study, will elicit some interesting things. There is a thinly veiled uh, association that Jesus is using in um, these kinds of words of agape and phileo with Simon Peter here. I think you'll see it interesting the way that I see it. And Levy's quite a challenge for us in terms of how we think about loving others. Jesus says this, when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you agape me more than these? Uh, this more than these is a little, uh, we're a little hazy on what that means, but it's not part of what we're trying to get at here. Um, he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I filio you. Right? That, that term of affection, a brotherly um, a friendship. Interesting, right? And, and Jesus comes back and says this. Um, he said to him, feed my lambs. Jesus then comes back again and asks Peter a question again. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you agape me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I filio you. He said to him, tend my sheep. Something happens on the third time here, um, which I, um, again, just pulled into the interesting dialogue between these two. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you filio me? Jesus changes it on the third time using a different word. Interesting, right? Peter was grieved because he said to him a third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Words mean things. Words mean things. Jesus says to Simon Peter, love my people. Feed my people, tend to my people, care for the sheep and the lambs. You see, this concept of agape is cyclical. When we love God, we love others. And when we love others, we love God. They are not separate. It cannot be done that way. He is the only source of love. And so we finish where we started. Why is this so hard to love people. I held my firstborn Hudson in my arms and experienced a love I cannot put to pen and paper. And then two months later, his cry at 2 a.m. in the morning just, right? But I love him. I absolutely love him. It is difficult. We are sinful and broken. We are being sanctified. And as we live this life, as we contemplate how we love one another, I am brought to this passage. The goal is to increase in love for one another. We must recognize the source. We must be plugged into him, seeking him as our fulfillment, our joy, and our source. Uh, we must recognize and know the Lord more deeply. We should be students of who he is. Continuing to uncover his character and nature. 
And by that, we fall deeper in love with him. He is the essence of love. And finally, he is the example of love. We continue to put our eyes upon him, following his example. The way he loved us, sent his son for us, that we may abide in him and he in us. And so um, I hope that this passage ministers to you the way it has to me. of a heart check, a quiz, an evaluation of why is this so hard. And I pray that the scriptures and the Holy Spirit lead you to truths and places in which you may fall more, and deep, more deeply in love with the Lord, that we may better go out and feed, tend, and care for his sheep. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for your word as a lamp unto our feet. Lord, I recognize that um, my relationship with you, I am still being um, sanctified. That love is often a hard thing for me to love those that you've put in my life. And so, Lord, may I continue to rest in that you are the source. May I see all those other things for what they are, not the source. May I also recognize you as the essence, your character and nature, and the example that I want to follow all the days of my life. May we as a church body increase for one another that those may know that we are your disciples. Lord, we love you, we thank you, we praise you. It's in your name we pray, amen.